Yeah, I love that. Momentum. It's awesome. I, uh, thanks for those who created that. Yeah, it's great. Hey, good, good morning, uh, 1030. You doing okay? Yeah, yep, okay. I feel some energy over here. Thanks, uh, Tommy. Appreciate that. I think I'm going to stand right here. Uh, this, this morning here. So, uh, hey, it's really good to have you here. Glad that you have chosen to join us. It's good to be with you. And then, of course, as Pastor Mike said, that uh, our online audience is always with us, and we're thankful for that. And it's exciting. Uh, you'll hear more about our mission expansion. You've been hearing tidbits every week about what's happening around the country. And there's some meetings coming up in the next few weeks as well. So as those uh, unfold and develop, we want to make sure and share those with you because you're such a critical part of making sure that we can do those kind of things. So thanks for all that you do to support Crosswalk here in Redlands. Hey, so Pastor Tim is, as was mentioned, in, in Portland this week, celebrating with them over there. He'll be back next week, and so looking forward to what Pastor Tim will share with us next week. But this week, I get the opportunity to continue our series, week four, on Momentum. And if you were here last week, you know that uh, we were focusing on one of the verses from our core text. Uh, not core text, core core text, scripture, core scripture of, uh, of our series, which is Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And uh, we focused on one, on the fact that Paul, who's recognized by most uh, traditionally as the author of the book or the letter to the Hebrews, who, a letter that he wrote uh, apparently from Corinth, and we talked a bit about that last week, that he reminded us of the value of being able to journey with a crowd of witnesses, right? Uh, people who have had a faith journey that's successful, if we surround ourselves with those individuals, that's going to help us as we try to build momentum in our lives with God and as a community. And so if you can't, you know, really connect with some of those names because they lived so long ago, then the reminder last week again is that every faith community has people with tremendous faith stories. And I hope that you're having the opportunity through our small groups or whatever it may be to share some of those stories because they're encouraging for others. They have an impact. And uh, the Apostle Paul shared that. And then he also reminded us of the importance of laying aside the weight that slows us down. And being in Corinth, watching the Ithmian games there and the Olympics, which obviously initiated, were initiated there, he would see these runners, these people coming to run in the races, and he would see them as they prepared and they'd put these weights on and they'd run with those weights. But the key was that they removed those weights before they you know, they ran the race. They decided, hey, I'm not going to do that because that's going to slow me down. And so he reminded us of the reality that if we're going to run the race well, we need to remove whatever is weighing us down. And I talked a little bit about, I guess what I would refer to as the three P's, right? Possessions, uh, our drive to acquire and how that can slow us down in our momentum with God. Patterns in our lives that maybe are uh, destructive or at least distracting and move us away from, again, what God wants for our lives. And we have to assess those. What are the patterns in our lives that may be driving us in the wrong direction? And then there are people who can also not only move us towards faith, but move us away from faith. And releasing that weight sometimes can be tough. Because there may be a family member, there may be a friend, a long-time person you grew up with. And man, to kind of separate ourselves and remove that person from having a tremendous influence in our lives 
can be challenging to have those conversations, maybe even to try to bring them along with us. So what the Apostle Paul was getting at is we have to really assess what are the things that are maybe weighing us down. And then he talked about running with endurance. And if you've been studying the series guide, uh, I, I love studying that series guide. It, I use it as a prompt for some of my study during the week and then with my family on Friday nights, it's kind of an overview. But it, it's, and so if you're doing that, uh, man, kudos to you. I hope that it's helpful. If you haven't had the opportunity to embrace that idea, there's some study guides out back. You can pick one up or grab the ones that we have online as well. But if you've been looking through that, you know that this week's focus is about not losing velocity. Uh, you know, we build up this speed, this velocity in our lives that generate the momentum so that we can be the community that God wants us to be. And uh, sometimes if we don't do that, it's going to obviously challenge us in different ways. And so I want to illustrate it by asking you this question as, as we start off. Have you ever skipped stones on a pond or a lake? Any stone skippers here? I see a few shaking your head. And, and uh, I love to st do that, particularly when I was a kid. And we lived near a park where there was a pond. And my mom would take us, you know, when I was 10, 12, 14 years old, would take us uh, on a walk uh, and with my brother and my sister. And we'd go and and I love because this pond was full of, uh, the shore was full of rocks that were nice and smooth and, and flat. And, and I love to skim those stones. In those days, I thought, man, if I could get five or six skips, awesome. You know, five or six skips was, was great. And uh, I thought this is something that I just did until I got older and discovered this is a universal practice. People do this all over the world. In fact, every language has a term for it. Uh, in England, they call it ducks and drakes. I don't know if it's because of what they're aiming at when they're throwing that, but ducks and drakes sounds a little vicious to me. Uh, in France, they're called ricochets. In, in Ireland, stone skiffing. In Denmark, smutting. Eh, I don't know if I like that one. In Japan, it's called mizukin. It happens all over the world and in different ways. Eskimos skip stones on ice. The Bedouins skip stone on sand. It's, a, it's amazing. It happens all over the place. I thought it was just me. And, and the reason is because it's fun. At least I, I found it to be fun. But a lot of people also take it seriously. Did you know there's a world's record for the number of skips on, on a pond? 88. 88 skips. You can watch it on YouTube. Okay? Not right now. Later. Later you can Google it and you can find that Kurt Steiner has the record for 88 skips and it shows it in slow motion. Uh, these, the stone skipping. And uh, here's the thing that I want to really focus on for a second and that is that when you you know, throw that stone, that stone has to enter into the water at a certain angle to achieve maximum skips. Makes sense, right? Um, so how you throw it matters. You can't just go and expect it to skip. You have to throw it at a certain angle to get the maximum skips. So how you throw it is really important. 
I remember going to the, the pond with my mom and my sister, my brother. She's four years younger than I am. My brother's younger than that. And so my sister one day saw me, you know, doing that. And she says, can you teach me to skip stones? I'm like, yeah, you know, you just kind of grab, let's find one, a nice stone and, and it, that's flat. And then you kind of get down a little bit and you use kind of this angle here and you use your arm and your wrist to kind of snap it and hopefully it'll skip. And, uh, and so I gave her a stone and she got up there. I backed up, you know, just to make sure that there was no accident. And she got up there and I don't know how she did it, but she wound up like this and released it here. I was behind her and I got hit in the back of the head. That was a miracle of some sort. I don't, I don't get it, but uh, I had to get stitches. Uh, on that. Uh, my sister still reminds me of that. She says, I made you bleed uh, like it's, you know, some badge of honor. But she, you know, she was trying to figure out and how you throw it because it makes a difference. Here's the second thing. Uh, when, when you throw it and, and, and it skips over the water, each skip then is about 80% of the previous skip. Right, so, so it goes, you know, boom, then it loses, and it's 80%, so you lose this 20%, 80%, the next skip, next skip, next skip. So over time, it loses momentum. As, as it skims over the water, the forward velocity that hopefully it's, it's generating is diminished to the point where it's no longer able to sustain itself because it's lost velocity. So it's the weight of the stone that drags it underwater. So I want to talk a little bit about that term, the weight of the stone, because those are kind of the things, those are the things that drag you under in your life or drag us under in the life of the church and eventually can sink us. And uh, as I was thinking about that, there's a, a big lesson here in terms of this term, beware the weight of the stone. I think about Greek mythology. You may be familiar with the story of Sisyphus who was punished by the Greek god Zeus who forces him to roll this large boulder up a hill for eternity. Not just a couple times, for eternity he's punished to push this large boulder, this large, large stone. And every time that he nears the top of the hill, the boulder rolls back down. They beware the weight of the stone. Funny, it's not just Greek mythology that has this story, but the author of Proverbs also addresses this in Proverbs 26, 27. He actually says two things there. He says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Come back to that in a second. And then if someone rolls a stone, and particularly up a hill, but uh, in any kind of momentum that comes back to you, it will roll back on them. So there's two pictures here in this Proverbs. And one is the ancient practice that hunters had who would go and dig this pit in an effort to create a place or a way that they could trap an animal. There's a great story in 2 Samuel chapter 23. I, I love the story. There was a book some years ago written on it called In a Pit with a Lion in a Snowy Day. Great title for a book, I think. And it's the story told in 2 Samuel chapter 23 of Benaiah. Uh, and the story is only like three or four verses long in there. You can read it. it, it the, the short of it is that title, you know, he kills a lion in a pit and it happened to be snowing that day, which uh, tells us a little bit about what's going on in his life then later on because he also, there's a little couple verses in there in which two assassins come from another country and try to get to the to the uh, temple and to the palace area where King David is 
and Benaiah uh, stops them, kind of one on two. He defeats these two great assassins, these two great warriors uh, there. And because of that, and probably killing a lion, and David kind of knew about that. You remember last week, uh, you know, and the week before, Pastor Tim talking about that as an illustration for building momentum. Well, uh, David could resonate with that, and he created a position for Benaiah. He became the, the chief of the bodyguards for King David. Because David understood what Paul then mentions to us in Hebrews chapter 12, and that is that you have to surround yourself with the right people. The right people are going to build you up, going to lift you up, going to protect you. The wrong people are going to sink you, are going to weigh you down. And then he says in this proverb, a man pushes a heavy stone up a hill only to experience the gravitational pull on the stone that then comes back on you and threatens to crush that person. And there's a lot just in that. What are the things that are causing that gravitational pull? What are the things that are causing our loss of, of velocity that uh, then will potentially sink us? The reality is that before we can gain full momentum, we have to remove the gravitational pull which sinks us, right? Those possessions, those, those patterns, those, those people. And then he also says, uh, the Apostle Paul does, not only do we have to remove those, but we have to run with endurance, and remember, Paul was there in Corinth. He was watching the Ithmian Games. He knew about the Olympics that took, also took place uh, in Greece and uh, was well aware of people training and preparing for that and the endurance that it takes to finish the race. I don't know, any Olympic watchers here, people that like to watch the Olympics, right? There's a, there's a lot of great stories that come with the Olympics every year. And, and in particular, I think of some that have had a great impact on me. I remember years ago now, some of you might be old enough to remember this, but Derek Redman uh, was favored to win the gold in the 400 meter race. And he got out there and he took the lead and then all of a sudden his hamstring snapped, kind of just tore it and down he went. And uh, he was laying on the ground and the crowd went silent. The rest of the foot, uh, you know, the rest of the runners finished the race and he got up and you can see the pain on his face and he begins to try to hop to the finish line so he can finish the race. And out of the stands comes a figure which we discover is his father who gets to the track, helps him up and together they finish the race. It's a great story and it creates kind of a, an image, a picture of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. I think of Carrie Strug a few years later. Uh, she was a gymnast uh, in the vault and gymnastics and the U.S. hadn't won a gold medal in a long time and it was critical for her to do well and she broke her ankle and still had to do that last vault to try to win the gold and with a broken ankle she ran did the vault, hit it, and then had to stick the landing. And she did, and you can see the pain in her face. She endured that pain to attain the victory. Uh, my favorite, probably, of all the stories of the Olympics happened in Sydney where Eric Musambani, who was from Equatorial Guinea. I, I, yeah, I didn't even know where Equatorial Guinea was. I had to look on the map. It's in West Central Africa, kind of, I think, below Cameroon. And, Anyway, you can look at it, but he was from there and he decided that he wanted to race in the Olympics and that he wanted to swim the 100 meter uh, race, the 100 meter race. One small problem, he didn't know how to swim. 
So, but he says, I got to be in the Olympics and I want to swim in that race. And so he decided to swim that and he began to teach himself how to swim. <laughs> and there was only one pool in the whole area that he lived in. It was at a hotel and they let him use it between 5 and 6 a.m., three days a week. They said, you can use that. And he decided, I'm going to teach myself to swim. It's freestyle, right? So you go out until you stay afloat, I guess. And, and then he, he had no coach. He had no training uh, whatsoever. He had no way to track his time. And he gets finally to the Olympics and he thought he was racing in the 50 meter at that point and it was the 100 meter, which is twice as far, which requires more endurance, right? And so he's in this race and other people fell out. So now he's uh, in, in this qualifier and he's having a race by himself, which again, it's harder for someone who's in a, in a race because you're not sure, you know, who, who to keep up with or who to try to beat. And, and he ends up, now, the announcer says, I don't think he's going to make it because he's on the second lap and he's just going really, really slow. Uh, but he made it and he recorded. He's in the record books for the slowest time in Olympic history. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Here's the thing. It was his personal best. It's the fastest he had ever swam, which is the embodiment, right, of the Olympics. Uh, the Olympic ideal that you persevere, that you endure. So it, it brings the question to mind, what does it take, what does it take for, for us to prepare, to, to prepare for the race that we're in, right? What does it take? Because you have to train. That makes sense. You have to prepare. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes planning when you're going to be in a race. Now, my son-in-law, Joe, loves to run and... Uh, he loves to run marathons. Talk to him if you can, right? He loves, to, he loves to run marathons, right? And he's often telling me about, you know, when he's in training, he's getting up really, really early in the morning and running so that over time he can build up his weekly mileage. And, you know, again, this is part of the training, the development, the preparation, and then, uh, and then he'll be more ready, he'll be ready for the race. But he also... It was telling me he inserts times of rest and recover, recovery. So I was asking him about this last night, and uh, he says, you know, I also go ahead and check out the course ahead of time. So I can see the course. I can plan things out. I can see the terrain because, you know, I'm thinking, so, you know, you run. It's all flat. But it's not, right? There's ups and downs depending on the marathon or the race that you're running. There's always some topography, some terrain that is going to challenge you. And he was telling me, hey, if you run downhill, man, it's easy to, to kick it in and to fly. But if you're exerting that energy there, as you start going up the hill, you lose some energy and you may not be able to get up that steep uh, incline. And, and I was thinking about that and thinking about how the reality of that is that if we're not prepared to the, for the race, we're not going to be able to handle the inclines in our life. Because guess what? You've experienced this already, right? We don't always run on flat ground in our lives. Uh, there are those uphill climbs of our lives that if we're not prepared for, can discourage us and uh, dissuade us and prevent us from accomplishing the race, finishing the race. So when it comes to the race of your life, and I'm talking about your spiritual life now, how much time and effort are you putting in? How are you training 
for the, your spiritual race? How are you training in a way in that you will endure, in a way that you will finish, and as Paul says, that you will finish well? You know, one of the terms that's used for uh, training and training mechanisms in Scripture, so it's referred to as the spiritual disciplines. Things like prayer, things like Bible study, things like being in a small group to, to have that kind of community. Things like worship, which we just uh, participated in, in which we get to lift our hearts and our minds and our voices to, to God. There's service and solitude and fasting. There's all these terms that come out of uh, God's Word as tools that we can use to train. And those are all important. Those are all helpful. Uh, but one of the things that I want to point our attention to today is what is referred to as sacred pathways. I read a book um, a few years back called Sacred Pathways, and it was, it's about discovering your spiritual pathway to God. See, the reality is all of us are uniquely made. And when we just look around and, you know, we all look different. So on the outside, we're all uniquely made. But on the inside, we all have different personalities. We all have different temperaments. We all have different abilities. We all have different gifts that we were created with. So it's just stand to reason that we all have, God has created us with a sacred pathway by which we best communicate or sense the presence of God. Right? For some, and you've seen this, right? And even this morning I saw, I saw this. There are some whose sacred pathway to God, the way they best sense God's presence is through worship music. They lift their arms, they lift their voices, you know, they have their eyes closed. They're just sensing the presence of God. That's their sacred pathway, the way they best feel and sense God's presence in their life. For others, it may be through the study of God's Word as you're reading and there's a revelation that comes out of there that gives you a clear picture of God's character and His goodness and His, and His grace and you sense His presence. For others, it may be serving people who are less fortunate, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And when they're doing that, they're like, man, this is awesome. I'm feeling God uh, move through me and in me. And there are others who they go outside, right? And they see the creation of God and, and everything that's out there, the colors, everything that God has created. And they feel closest to the presence of God. You know, uh, those are different pathways. For me, when I go outside, I barely notice the trees because it's like, oh yeah, nice because it's not my primary pathway. Now, that doesn't mean I can't learn that pathway, but it's not the one that I was created for. And so part of the training that I would ask you to think about and consider and discover is what is your sacred pathway? What's your sacred pathway to God, the way that you sense his presence best? And then lean into it because that's how God grows us. Those are keys uh, to, to spiritual health. Now, um, Dallas Willard, who's an author, passed away now, but wrote a lot on the disciplines and on pathways to God, was once asked in an interview, what are the keys to spiritual health? His answer was this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And the interviewer was like, yeah, 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 that's good, that's good. What else? He said, that's it. That's it. If you can do that, then all these other things will fall into place. See, I believe that's true. I, I think that uh, as we experience the pace of life, it can prevent us from approaching God in the way that he wants us 
uh, to approach God. Richard Foster, which is another author that wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, among other books, spoke to the issues of, again, how do we grow in our journey? How do we train in our journey to walk with God? And he put it this way. He said, superficiality is the curse of our age. Superficiality which is defined as a lack of depth, which is defined as a lack of character or serious thought, which happens when you don't have enough time, when you're too busy, when you're in a hurry, and uh, it can't spend the time that you need to with God. So is hurry a problem these days? Yeah, I, I think so, right? I think he'll, uh, the way Willard puts it is he states that hurry is really that weight of the stone. That hurry is the thing that reduces the momentum in our lives and can sink us. It's that weight of the stone, the hurry that will sink us, that will pull us down. Because we are so busy, we are in such a hurry oftentimes that we don't have time to stop and to listen uh, to God and what He wants to do in us and, and for us and through us. Hurry is that weight that prevents us from having a deeper and more fuller uh, relationship with God, it prevents us from training in the way that we need to train, which is necessary if we're going to endure in the race that God has given us. Anybody like NASCAR here? Any NASCAR fans? Um, and here, you know, in first service, there was a, a little bit of a, a whoop here and there, but so there's no NASCAR fan. Oh, there may be a couple in here, right? Uh, NASCAR, uh, I, I don't get NASCAR personally. Right? Uh, it, it just seems like a bunch of cars going around in circles to me. Uh, now, granted, really, really fast, right? But I said that to one person one time. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't, get, uh, I don't get NASCAR. And they were, they were mad. And, and they said to me, do you like football? I'm like, yeah. Well, football's just a bunch of men crashing into each other and then jumping into a big pile. Okay, so let's, let, you know, what are you going to say to that, right? So, but my point is that NASCAR is a metaphor for how we live our life today in my mind, right? We're living fast. We're, we're moving at twice the speed of maybe what we should be moving. And sometimes, and maybe it's just me, sometimes it feels like we're going around in circles, all right, we live fast, we work fast, we drive fast, we eat fast, we live and view people who, who are fast and busy with this sense of awe, with this sense of prestige, and we honor and we value them. In our culture, it's a badge of honor to, to ask the question and to answer the question, are you keeping busy? Because if you're not busy, then, you know, something might be wrong in your life. Uh, and yet much of the pain that people experience is connected to the pace of life that they choose. Let me say that again. Much of the pain that people experience is connected to the pace of the life they choose. And yet we're a society, we're a people in a hurry. How many of you would say that you're too busy? Right, that you're just struggling with the pace of life. No time for spouses, no time for kids, no time for friendships, no time for faith. And then you wonder why you experience spiritual dryness. There's no time to slow down, to be with God. And, and so it's a constant struggle. That's why this statement is so powerful in my mind. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because when you're in a hurry, crazy, crazy things happen. 
right? You're driving, you're late, you get to a stoplight, it's red, you know, and, and you're waiting there impatient, uh, impatiently and, and you're muttering uh, praises under your, uh, under your breath, right? And then if the person ahead of you does not move within a millisecond of the light turning green, you're on that horn. Come on! Uh, right? Or, or at the grocery store, you know, you get to the store, you're in a hurry, you're stressed out, you, you want to get out of there, and you get to the checkout line, and, you know, you look around. You do the algorithms, the number of people in line, plus the number of things in the cart, divided by the age of the checker. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Yeah, you've done it. And, and then you're not calm about it, right? You don't pick and just relax. You're competitive. You're like, what's, what's going on over there? You're looking at the other line to see who wins, right? And if you don't win, you're mad. You're mad. Busyness is the enemy of running the race with endurance, of running the race for the long haul. It's the weight of the stone. And if you're not sure, check out other signs in your life that may be giving you an idea or trying to get you to understand the pace of your life is not sustainable. You know, if you have constant clutter, you know, if your car and your office and your home are, are cluttered, that may be a sign. Then there's multitasking, right? While you drive, you know what I'm talking about, right? Driving, eating, shaving, talk about your legs. You're, you know, reading, you're, you're, you're on the phone, and I, and I know what you're thinking. You're saying, uh, what's the problem? You know, is there something wrong with that? Uh, those are signs that we may not have the right pace in our lives. And then there's the phone. Okay, I know I'm meddling now, right? But some of you are having an affair. And not with a man or a woman, but with your phone. Right, you look at it all the time, you caress it, and never leaves your side. Some of you are looking at it right now, right? Superficiality, hurry, busyness are all enemies of momentum. They are the weight of the stone dragging you down, slowing the momentum that God wants with your lives because you don't have time for the things that will help you in that. Hebrews 12, our text, says it clear, we need to commit to removing any obstacle to lay aside any weight that prevents us from running the race with endurance. This is what God is calling us to do. Here at Crosswalk, here in this place, we want to continue building momentum and we want to do the ministry God has called us to. We believe it is the power of the Holy Spirit it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that then allows us to move forward with the mission God has given us. But we can't move forward if we can't sense or hear the Spirit's promptings. So we want to continue to do our best to understand God's Spirit and how He moves. The momentum that He wants to create in our lives and then by extension in the life of the church. And then we want to ride it. We want to go full force. Uh, to sense God's presence in a powerful way and to be the church that God wants us to be, that he calls us to be. And so as we continue to explore this, my, my prayer, my hope is that God will allow us to figure out what the pace of life issues, deal might be in our lives and, and to adapt that and to adopt his pattern of living 
that will allow us to hear his voice and then to propel us forward with the velocity that God wants to create for your life, for the life of the church. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are patient with us. You, you strive to bring us along, understanding that the obstacles of life, the weights that drag us down are destructive. And yet, Lord, you invite us to figure out how to best journey with you and release those at the same time. And so as we explore that, Lord, not just today and through this series, may you guide us, may you lead us, may we sense your presence and may it bring for us in our lives and in the life of our loved ones, may it bring the peace and joy that you promise to all who will follow you. Thank you for loving us and for being with us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we worship one more time.